Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Beach and company. Stop flipping around the dial. Beach and company. And let's hit the beach for a while. Beach and company. The all-around talk of the town. Beach and company. He'll pick you right up when you're down. Beach and company. Sandy's on. is loud. News Talk 930 presents to you now, Sandy Beach and Company. Well, hello, hello, hello. It is Beach and Company. I'm Sandy Beach. No, no, it's just a cold. Came on Saturday. Since then, I took day uh, daytime NyQuil, nighttime NyQuil, middle of the day NyQuil. I took uh, all kinds of stuff, but I'm here. I, I think my voice will hold up for the three hours. Let us hope so. Anyway, it is Beach and Company, and welcome aboard. News Talk 930 presents to you now, Sandy Beach, Beach and Company. Uh, yes, I was as shocked as everyone else is uh, when I heard about the death of uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, you don't expect people uh, to die at 41 under any circumstances, but especially an athlete, a man who spent uh, his whole life on the basketball court, which I think takes a great deal of stamina and athleticism and whatever, and he had all of that, obviously. Uh, played for 20 years, uh, five championships. I mean, an incredible, uh, incredible legacy. Uh, but really, what really touched me, not only was the death of Kobe, but his daughter was with him. That really, really hurt. Now, I don't know Kobe. I, I never met him or his daughters. I'm Certainly well aware of his uh, history in the NBA. Uh, he played with one of my favorite NBA players, Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, he was recruited by Jerry West. Jerry, I remember Jerry West from the Celtics in Boston when I used to follow them. Uh, but as I saw what was going on, I'm familiar with that area because uh, when, we were in, when I was in Dallas, we did a promotional event where we took two people in our Jet Ranger helicopter along with the, uh, the pilot, Dick Siegel, and myself. And we went from Dallas uh, uh, to um, Las Vegas for New Year's Eve, and then from Las Vegas to L.A. Uh, we landed at uh, John Wayne, and we flew in the, in the area exactly uh, where, where the uh, copter went down, all hilly, all dangerous, obviously, with heavy fog. Don't know if that fog just showed up or if they... If they decided that they could do it, I think they were on instruments. I, I listened to some of the uh, control uh, control tower conversation. First of all, I could never be a pilot for this reason. I can never understand what they're saying. I mean, I see it printed out, but I could never understand it. And everything they say is important. Just remember, the final decision on any flight, you know, fixed wing or helicopter, stands with the pilot. That's all there is to it. If the pilot doesn't want to go, the ship, uh, the pilot says, no, it doesn't go. And that's all there is to it. There's no discussion after that. But so sorry to hear that, especially they started 
uh, when they first when it first broke by uh, saying there were five people, and uh, then it went to nine uh, when uh, uh, the uh, police chief uh, spoke. Uh, he was not happy with DMZ at all uh, because he said uh, you shouldn't learn about the death of a loved one through that. But if you're a news or gathering organization, uh, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Um, but I don't know by not announcing something if you're helping or not. I, I that that's a story for another another show. Uh, 9:30 today, Phil Arno will be with us. Phil owns WBBZ. Phil spent a great deal of his life over Los Angeles in a helicopter. So. I'm sure he's familiar with the area that the uh, helicopter went down. We can talk to him about flying in the fog, flying there. Uh, there's a lot. I have several uh, connections in my mind with helicopters. I love helicopters, but I understand that they can be dangerous. Uh, I will tell you the story of um, Mike Rosman. What a wonderful man Mike Rosman was. And, and I was at WGR. And Mike Rosman was a traffic reporter, and he, uh, he died on my shift within two minutes of me talking to him. We'll talk about that. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you, too, with a general question. How do you deal with the death of a loved one, whether it's a family member or, or somebody you just enjoy, enjoy listening to, seeing, uh, whatever? We'll be back with that on News Radio 930 WBN. The, uh, the basic question we have today is how do you deal with the death of a loved one? And it doesn't have to be a family member. certainly can be a family member, but it can be somebody you've enjoyed spending time with on television, uh, radio, reading in the newspaper, just any kind of a connection, and you are uh, saddened and shocked by the death of this person. I told you uh, uh, the most vibrant memory I have is I was on WGR doing Afternoon Drive. And Mike Rosman was my traffic reporter, wonderful guy, very handy, too. He could fix a transmitter or be on the air, and he did everything there is to do in a radio station. Uh, but uh, I think it was uh, 5.30, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and we did the 5.30 traffic report at, like, 5.28. Okay, 5.28, here's Mike Rosman with WGR Traffic. Went up to him. It was a perfectly fine traffic report. And that was that. He, uh, he cued it out, and then I continued with the show. Uh, uh, about two or three minutes later, uh, the newsroom got a call from the tower at Buffalo International Airport. And they wanted to know if we still had contact with Mike Rosmond, uh, who was the reporter, and uh, there was also a pilot with him. I have, did we have contact with him? And we said no. And they had lost contact with him. And uh, the helicopter had gone down. It had gotten tangled in, in some kind of a, um, uh, there's some kind of wires up there or a structure. And they, it went down. And they could not uh, retrieve uh, the bodies. That, uh, that, so overnight, it, that was the crash scene. It was exactly like it was. And they went in there in the morning. I lived uh, as in a condo right there. I was probably no more than a quarter of a mile from where he was. I sold it. I sold it. I, I, all I could think of was Mike being there, and I couldn't deal with it. I just could not deal with it. And so 
there are other stories like this. Joey, if Joey Reynolds were here right now, he would tell he would tell you on WNBC when he worked there uh, for John Hayes. Uh, his traffic reporter went down, and I think she was killed. Uh, so that happened there. I I I've said before I love helicopters, but any kind of a flight is, is there is a, an element of danger, and the one thing that is very difficult is. Uh, you never, never fly in uh, in inclement weather if you, unless it's some kind of an emergency, and it's up to the pilot to make the final decision. So I don't know if that fog was there. I don't know if it if it suddenly rolled in while they were already in the air. Don't know. And they said it'll take uh, what the NTSB said, take about a year before we'll we'll know. There's not much left. Uh, and that was a really good helicopter, a Sikorsky. So that's that, uh, and I'd like you to give me an example of how you deal with the death of a loved one. It's not easy, certainly. I uh, I lost my sister this year, the one with the cement ass. I lost her, um, you know, about almost a year ago now, and um, it's not easy. And of course, I lost Cindy uh, very publicly on the air. It's uh, the if I could give a couple of pieces of advice so you don't think you're the only one. You never get over it, okay? So when people tell you, uh, don't worry about it, time will pass and you'll get over it. Time will lessen the heartache, but the heartache will be there forever, okay? Just say that. And the best thing that I ever did, I took a lesson from Dan Nevereth because this is what he did, and I didn't believe him at the time. At the time of the death of his father, uh, he wanted a couple of days off for the uh, funeral and, and whatever. Of course, of course. Then he was ready to come back to work. And I tried, and I was the program director. I tried to talk him out of it. I said, no, you don't have to do this. We can cover for you. No, you can spend your own time grieving. He said that's what he wanted to do uh, because he thinks it would be helpful. And when he got done, he said it was the only time that you can get away from it. And I can vouch for him because, as I said, I lost uh, two very important people in my life. The only time you can get away from it is work. I know it sounds wrong, but try it. If you really have to get away with it, uh, away from it, try it. I know when I would come into the studio, you can ask Tony. I'd come in the studio, and I'd do the show, and during the show, I was okay. But believe me, right at 6 o'clock, I was doing the uh, 7 o'clock. Was it 6 or 7 we were on to? We ended at 6. 6. Okay, right at 6 o'clock, that was it. It came right back. But for those three hours, I guess there's some kind of relief in your mind. But that's it. Uh, So those are the only two pieces of advice I have for dealing with the death of a loved one. People want to be very helpful. People are very helpful. There's good reading material. I know Roswell Park has a lot of good uh, reading material for, for people to uh, kind of come to grips with what's going on in their lives. Uh, and it does, uh, that does help, but you're never going to get over it. No sense in p- pretending you are. Tony, you, you had to deal with the death of your father and your mother during the time I've been working with you, and I know you were very close to both of them. How did you manage to deal with it? It was the most difficult thing I ever dealt with in my life. 
Uh, and you've stated this over and over on this program throughout the years, how much my parents meant to me. As, you know, parents mean to everybody out there. And uh, I'm, I've always been terrible at dealing with death. Me too. Especially when you talk about a child. That makes it even worse. And now being a parent, it it's just one of those things that just, it kills me when I hear about it, you know, and hearing about Kobe's daughter. And you know what? There were nine people total, but the only reason we focus on Kobe, Kobe is the only one we knew. It doesn't mean any disrespect for the others, but we Correct. simply didn't know them. Yeah, and you know, any loss of life uh, is, is terrible. You know, for me, dealing with uh, death, as I said, is very difficult, and work does kind of take your mind off of it. I was able to uh, come to work and uh, you know, joke around with you, and thankfully your humor got me through a lot of it. Uh, but as you said, the minute you're alone oh, and yeah. you start to think, and that's when uh, it gets you. And you know, I would sit there and cry thinking about my mom and dad, and I still do. I uh, worked with a painter who, who was an artist as well as a painter. So she didn't just paint walls, you know. She was a, a painter that did specific uh, things, murals and whatever. And uh, Cindy loved angels, loved them. So I, I called this woman who had done some work for us, and I said, what I'd like is I would like a, a, con a concept of an angel on the ceiling here where I sit. Not, not, a, not one like, it doesn't have to be exact like uh, you'd see in, a, in a, a painting or something, just a conceptual angel, something that if you looked up, you'd see it, and you'd know it was an angel, but it wasn't a picture of an angel. You get what I'm saying? And she came up. She got up on the ladder and uh, painted the most beautiful. She had found several things she wanted for approval and picked this one. It's the most beautiful angel. Uh, and as soon as you look up at it, you think about it, and it's still there. Uh, and it will always be there as long as I own the house. But those are the kind of things that um, to kind of lull you away from the reality. I think tributes help. Uh, you see people, they'll put um, window stickers on their vehicles, you know, so-and-so, rest in peace. They want to do something. Yeah, they do something. Uh, for a lot of people, get tattoos. You know, you've lost really? a, a loved one, maybe a child, and, and it's a way of remembering uh, you do it through that. Uh, there are many ways that you can pay tribute to a loved one, and I think those type of things help. Mr. Beamer, have you, uh, you have less years on the planet than the rest of us. Have you had to endure that yet? Yeah, you know, I, um, I lost both my grandfathers pretty quickly, uh, within three or four months of each other, uh, so that wasn't easy. No. And uh, one of my best friends, I watched his mother pass away. Um, Very when, difficult. When I was in college. It, it, it's not easy, and, you know, the memories come back. and You try to think of the good memories, but unfortunately, at the end of it, you remember they're not here anymore. So as good as those memories are, it's still, you know, however many years later, you think of the things they've missed, uh, the things, you know, and, and I think of on this helicopter, you had... You know, Kobe, which I grew up, I mean, Kobe was my childhood. You know, anyone my age, if you were in the sports, you watched Kobe. Yeah. Um, so I, I think of him dying way too young. And then the three teenage girls that were on that helicopter, you know, just getting, just beginning life. You know, they were heading to a basketball game. Yeah, Kobe got 41 years. The girls got 13. 
Think about that. And I always have pictured in my mind the moment you know that uh, either the ship or the airplane or the uh, or the helicopter is in trouble until it until it uh, it rests on the earth. You know I, that has to be absolute terror, and and that kind of sticks with you. The first uh, funeral I remember was from my grandfather. I remember going there, being very sad about it, and then in the outer room, hearing some of the people chit chatting, you know, all friends of his and contemporaries of his, and a few people laughing, and I took exception to them laughing. Uh, we were only one room away from my grandfather, who was laid out. And then I was. I understood later that that's one way people get through stuff. They talk. They remember that story and they laugh about it because it, it didn't meant. They it was never meant to be disrespectful. I do want to hear from you. How do you deal with the death of a loved one? And give me an example. It does not have to be a um, family member. It can be a celebrity, whatever. First one I'm going to put in here is Lady Diana. Lady Diana Spencer, uh, Spencer and her death. It had a big impact on the world. We'll be back with more on News Radio 930 WBEN. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. And we are back with uh, Beach and Company. Yes, it's only a cold. It came out on a Saturday, and I, I babied it. It should be over in a couple of days. Meanwhile, I'm very uh, pleased to have in studio Phil Arno. Uh, Phil is the owner of WBBZ Television. Uh, good, uh, good morning, Phil. Good morning, Sandy. Now, you have a long history of being in helicopters over the L.A. area. Uh, what did you do, and how long did you do it? Uh, I was a photographer and uh, reporter that worked out of uh, news helicopters in the back uh, of the news helicopters in Los Angeles. Uh, I worked for more than 12 years in helicopters and probably had more than 10,000 hours wow. in the back of helicopters. So um, primarily in uh, uh, A-Stars, that's the, the helicopter of choice out there, the Sikorsky 76 that crashed was actually in our in our hangar. I was in that helicopter a number oh, really? of times. Yeah, it's an uh, impressive looking helicopter. It's a it's a terrific helicopter. Cost about thirteen million dollars uh, new. It, it's very impressive. As a matter of fact, if you want to know what that helicopter looked like, uh, and the inside and the outside, look at the last 
scene in the the original movie Jurassic Park because that was that helicopter. Oh, really? Uh, uh, a couple of people on my text wondered uh, because there were nine people on it if it were overloaded. <laughs> I understand it can seat twelve. So it was actually under capacity. Yeah, it, it depends on how it's configured. Yeah. Uh, the one uh, you know that I was used to sitting in, uh, basically you you can two two pilots up front, and then you can put four facing forward and four facing backward uh, in the back. Now I have flown in a helicopter over the exact route that they took because uh, we took some people from Dallas uh, to Las Vegas and then from Vegas to L.A. Uh, for the Rose Bowl and the Rose Parade. And uh, I was just in awe of the topography, the, the land. But it's all hills. And uh, do you think that that fog, we're going to find out in about a year probably, do you think that fog was there when they even took off? Uh, because I can't imagine them taking off if the fog was already present. In, in Los Angeles, that's that's routine. I mean, if uh, being a weather guy in Los Angeles is boring because every day it's the same thing. You have a marine layer that comes in from the ocean, and it's basically it's a low cloud. It's fog, and it burns off you know around noon or one o'clock and everything. And then you have sunny skies, and and you would never know that it was cloudy or foggy earlier in the day. But in the morning, you have that marine layer, and it goes inland probably 5 or 10 miles. And it is zero visibility early on. It, wow. it really is bad. And, and in the hills there, we're, and I've, I've flown over that spot hundreds of times. And, and uh, I can't begin to tell you how uh, unfortunate it is when something like this happens uh, the, the NTSB is going to take a, a year to file a report, and that's standard. They always do that, just uh, because that's what the bureaucracy does. They have to have every T crossed and every I dotted. It, if you're a pilot, if you have experience in this, you look at that scene, and you have a pretty good idea of what happened. He was going pretty quick, pretty fast, and he was in low visibility. He shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have been going that fast. <clears throat> and they flew into the side of the hill. They flew in and skimmed the side of the hill. You could tell by the wreckage, the tail boom uh, broke off, and the the pattern of debris that uh, was, if if you remember the camera shot to the to the uh, to the right, is a whole bunch of small debris. Right. That's the <clears throat> that's the direction they were going in. Um, the, the bigger debris where the tail boom was, that's where they were coming from. Oh. When the tail, tail boom uh, broke off, it, it was sudden. Nobody knew what was coming. It was, it was over in you know, a split second. Were they on instruments or uh, visual? It, it, they were on what, what you call a special VFR, and they shouldn't have been because a special VFR assumes that you have limited visibility, not zero, but limited I, many, many times in the news helicopters, we fly, uh, you couldn't take off if you were in a fixed-wing airplane unless you were on an instrument uh, flight Intro rules. Rating, okay. okay. And when we needed to cover a story, uh, you, you could ask for a special VFR if you were in a helicopter because you could go with less visibility because you could go 10 miles an hour. You didn't need the extra speed of a fixed-wing. Um, so... You could operate under different rules. That being the case, you did need 
uh, a quarter or a half mile visibility to go special VFR. Um, these guys, uh, in this circumstance, they had probably less than a couple hundred feet visibility. Oh, man. Well, uh, are the uh, helicopter uh, uh, pilots in the L.A. area uh, cooperate with each other. I know in Dallas, when one guy is in Fort Worth, the other guy is in Dallas, and they swap information. Is it a cooperative effort, or is it dog-eat-dog? Everybody can get what they can get. Oh, uh, it's cooperative. Yeah, they, they basically, it's a small... A community of of pilots, and they have a special frequency that we tune to. If if you showed up at the airport and there was fog, I assume that the pilot would have the final say as to whether you go up or not. All, all the time, yeah. absolutely. Your 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 life and your passengers' lives are in your hand. I don't care whether it's a helicopter or a fixed wing. Uh, you have the final say. Is there any pressure from those above you to fly when you're uncomfortable because of any kind of circumstances? Um, there is some pressure, but usually it boils down to a safety uh, issue. And if you explain things the right way, um, there usually isn't a problem. I, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, the Alaska Air crash that happened right off of the uh, coast of uh, Point Magoo. Uh, I, I covered that, that story uh, it was in 2000, I believe, or 1999, and there was a, an airliner that went off, went down right off the coast of uh, just outside of Los Angeles. And it was about 20 miles or 15 miles off the shore. Uh, during the day, we went out uh, with the helicopters and we covered the story, and it lasted into the night after dark. And several of the helicopters, which were single engine, uh, expressed concern that they didn't want to go out that far over the ocean at night uh, under those circumstances, there was pressure to cover the story. But when it came down to it, the management was not going to force a pilot to go in under those circumstances if the pilot thought it wasn't a safe idea. See, ideas go through your head, me not being a pilot or anything like that. I'm thinking, okay, here's the crash site. There's the ocean. Why in, in really deep fog? Wouldn't a pilot choose to fly over the ocean, not too far out, obviously, but you, because you're not going to hit anything? Normally, that's what we do. Oh, is that uh, what yeah, that's what we would. He was coming in. See, he was coming up from uh, from uh, John Wayne Airport because uh, Kobe lived down in uh, Newport Beach, and and I little background in Los Angeles. If you can, you're going to get around the best way in a helicopter. I mean, that was something sure. because even. Uh, on a weekend, there's a lot of traffic, and things are spread out. Newport Beach, uh, where he lived, is probably 40 miles from up in Thousand Oaks, uh, and it would have taken him, under those circumstances, in a car probably two hours to get to oh, where— Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, with, 40 miles? Yep. Wow. Uh, so it made sense, from his point of view, to take that helicopter. He had the, the wherewithal to do it, and the way they went— was over land. He didn't go out over the ocean. He went up through the basin and up past uh, LAX. And he was inland, so he was away from the the marine layer. But when he came close to the destination, which was South Thousand Oaks, he was back close to the to the shore again. Wow. And he couldn't, couldn't avoid it. We'll be back with Phil Arno. Phil spent a lot of time in L.A. in helicopters and kind of explaining uh, as best we can 
uh, what we can explain on News Radio 930 WBEN. I have a call. We got it on Saturday. I'm sure it'll take a few days. Uh, very happy and, and uh, pleased to have Phil Arno with us. Phil owns uh, WBBZ and spent years uh, on, on the West Coast in the L.A. area in helicopters, knows the area. Uh, but your first helicopter ride was here. Yeah, it was actually, uh, I don't want to date myself, but I guess I will. Sure. It, it, going way, way back. Uh, if you if you ever watched MASH on WVBZ, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> they use an old uh, Bell 47 with a big bubble. The bubble, the yeah. bubble, yeah. That's the, the first helicopter I ever rode in was that kind of a helicopter. And I was assigned, I was working for Channel 7, and I was assigned to cover the traffic uh, when Rich Stadium had its debut. The debut of 19, Rich 1973. The Washington Redskins versus the Buffalo Bills, the very first game in that stadium. And the traffic was backed up from the stadium all the way to the Youngman Expressway. <laughs> and I remember the, the game, um, our photographer on the ground didn't get to the game until the third quarter. <laughs> oh, it's a good thing you were there. Sammy Burnetto. <laughs> oh, Sammy, yeah. sure. Uh, I bet all of your employees now are figuring out how old you are. <laughs> yeah. I was that. only 10 at the time. So Now, you graduated to Los Angeles in a hurry. How long were you in the L.A. area? Oh, I was uh, 20 years. I spent 20, 20 years, years out there. Yeah. Uh, do, uh, do you know if that Sikorsky was a rental or was it Kobe's helicopter? Or? The, the company that handled the contract for, uh, for the TV stations that I worked at. Uh, also had the contract for Kobe to begin with. So he flew out of the same area that, that I did at Van, at, uh, Van Nuys. Then uh, one of the pilots took the contract and went to Long Beach, uh, and Kobe went with that pilot because he liked that pilot. And so uh, I don't know. There's some question as to whether Kobe bought the helicopter and then leased it back to the company in Long Beach, whether it was his helicopter but it was a charter company out of Long Beach. That's where the helicopter was based. And you say you know, because of the traffic conditions in Los Angeles, oftentimes it makes sense uh, to have a helicopter. I've always said that if I were a rich person and I had a choice between like my own jet and my own helicopter, I'd take a helicopter every day uh, because of the flexibility it has. It's a, they're they're tr tremendous machines for the for the purpose. Uh, the, that particular helicopter, that the one that was in our hangar, was owned by Ron Burkle, who is a, a very, very rich uh, uh, grocery store owner. He's uh, in, in politics a lot, and he he uh, leased that back to the helicopter company. Uh, and we used to fly uh, Liz Taylor in and out. There are a lot of oh, celebrities really? uh, that you know. Uh, Bruce Willis used to come in and out. Clint Eastwood, you mentioned. <laughs> Clint, Clint, we shared a hangar with Clint Eastwood. Warner Brothers bought him a helicopter. They just bought him. They one. bought it. They said, "Here, have you know, You're be, a nice a good guy. boy." <laughs> Merry Christmas! And wow. Yeah, he uh, he he was learning when I w knew him, and uh, he was very enthusiastic. What I learned from our pilot <laughs> in Dallas, Dick Siegel. Uh, he had 17,000 hours when I met him, and he was a test pilot for Bell. So he, he was safety, safety, safety. But he taught me some things. He said, you know, uh, airplanes want to fly. They say, come on, I want to fly. He said, helicopters don't. They don't want to fly. But the, the constant uh, maintenance on a helicopter, it's very expensive, but at any one time, most of the things on the helicopter are either new or they've just been replaced. It's like you're flying a new helicopter all the time. They're constantly in the shop. Yeah. For every hour that you fly them, they're, they're in the shop for an hour. I mean, that's, that's why they're so expensive to fly. I mean, the news helicopters, 
they basically cost uh, the company maybe six or seven hundred dollars per hour wow. to fly. Um, it, it's just a tremendously expensive operation because of the maintenance. I know. In my budget as program director at WBAP in Dallas, the helicopters were in my budget and uh, very, very expensive. And we flew six hours a day, uh, three in the morning, three in the afternoon at least. And I used to use them for promotional things as well. So uh, there was uh, there was a big, big chunk of our budget went to helicopters. Well, you know, and, and they're very – you talk about flying them. Uh, I, I've, I'm a fixed-wing pilot. I, I've been a pilot since I was in high school. I've got a commercial license. Well, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, I've got about 3,000 hours. Wow. Yeah. Hold on. You thought you knew Phil Arno. <laughs> no. Can you stay for another segment? Sure. Okay. Sure. Phil Arno, my, my, my friend, now that I know he's a pilot, maybe he'll take us up for a ride. <laughs> we'll be back after this. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 